Hello and welcome to Match Day FM. It's Morgan and it's deflected in out of absolutely nothing. Curzon and Ashton lead. Dixie to Hardy. Hardy in behind. Hardy past the goalkeeper. Hardy into the goal. 2-1 filed. Chance of Colin Day bubbling everywhere again. The other shot. And it's in. It's a recall as for Colin Day. It's been coming. What's a gap and he goes through it. And Akron gets the first try of the game for Siddle. They've got it with Smith, they've got it with Smith, they've got to score with Smith, unbelievable. Great chance, they've won it, Ashton have won it. Hello and welcome to Matchday FM Extra Time, a new podcast from Matchday FM, bringing you interviews, stories and previews from the world of sport. My name is Chris Stott and coming up on this episode, we hear from BBC Wales commentator Rob Phillips, On the journey that was Wales at Euro 2016, Manchester football writer Ian Foran tells us about his Mammoth Cycling Challenge for charity and lifelong Barrow fan turned commentator Adam Johnson tells us what it means for the Bluebirds to be back in the Football League. Now, as you may have heard on one of our recent podcasts, we should have been enjoying Euro 2020 right about now. But of course, it's been put on hold for a year. But if we rewind four years to Euro 2016, Wales would be right at the start of their tournament journey, in which they surprised everyone and made the semi-finals. Having not qualified for any major tournament for 58 years, it was always going to be a special journey. BBC Wales commentator Rob Phillips was lucky enough to follow that journey and had been doing so since their first qualifier. Earlier this week, I caught up with Rob to talk about what turned out to be a summer to remember for the Welsh. It was absolutely astonishing. Um, It was the best summer I've ever had, full stop, because it was an adventure that started... uh, in the, uh, what is it, the, the hilltops of Andorra in qualifying, when actually Wales went a goal down, and at halftime we were wondering whether this could be the end of Chris Coleman at the start of the uh, even the qualifiers. The qualifiers just got better and better. Gareth Bale rescued uh, Wales in Andorra with uh, a twice-taken free kick, and the whole sort of course of Welsh football history changed. Um, and qualifying was just... Uh, well, we'd waited 58 years to get to a major tournament finals, and I'd been unfortunate to see plenty of the near misses. Remember the Joe Jordan handball and Scotland in 85 and Romania and Italy in the Euro playoffs. Uh, sorry, Russia in the Euro playoffs. And to get there was just um, was just brilliant. And when we got there, uh, it just clicked. I don't know whether the stars were aligned, but they got everything right, Chris. They got everything right to the point of even they were based in a place called Dinard on the coast of Brittany, the whole Wales squad. Uh, We had fantastic media facilities, really good. The players were so up for it that there was never a problem in interviews, which for a journalist is absolutely key. And... They were in the tournament, but they had this place in Dinard where they could go. They could walk around the shops and cafes um, and, and not be bothered by the locals. As Wales went on through the tournament, 
the locals got more and more involved. And suddenly there were loads of Welsh flags and pictures of Gareth Bale all over the, the place in Dinard. Um, it was just, uh, just all fell into place. So Chris Coleman and his squad and the people who'd sort of uh, found Dinard and uh, I think it was going to be used by Holland, actually. And when they got knocked out, Wales jumped in there and it turned out to be a genius move. So everything was right off the field. They were a happy squad. They had one absolutely majestic player, a world-class player in Gareth Bale. And actually, people like Aaron Ramsey, Ramsey was, was just sensational throughout the tournament. And I do think it was a big loss when he and Ben Davis weren't able to play in the semifinals. But the great thing was, you know, beat Slovakia the first game. That was still, that is still perhaps my greatest memory that, and you'll get this, the anthem before the game. I watched it back last weekend, actually, uh, a week or so ago. And the anthem before the game was just spine tingling. Um, we in Wales think we got the best anthem anyway. But when it's sung, when it was sung by, I was stood there thinking, I never thought I'd see the day where 30,000 Welsh football fans would be in another land and Wales would be in the, the major championship on a, on a great stage. And that night in Bordeaux after the win, just will, will never, I will never forget that occasion. And even though Wales lost to England in the next game, turned it on against Russia and suddenly they were beyond the group, played Northern Ireland, awful game, but got through it. Then Belgium, how ridiculous is that to go a goal down to a, a really top-class Belgian side and to still come back with the Hal robson Kanu goal and the Sam Vokes goal. And then suddenly Wales are into the semi-finals and every time I'm, I'm sort of ringing back home, speaking to my, my children, and they're saying, Dad, you don't realise just how big this is going down back home. Fan zones and all this. And I, but we're in a little bubble with the squad. It was just unforgettable. Just an adventure that we never knew would... We didn't know when it was going to stop. And uh, just just made it for everybody. And you mentioned um, all the near misses that Wales have had over the years. And they've had some great sides that they've missed out. Just, you know... The mind boggles to think that somebody like Ryan Giggs never got to play at a major tournament. You know, yeah, your John Hartsons as well. So they're players of, of, of my era who, you know, are real top players. So to for that moment to finally come, um, it, for, for Welsh people, I'd imagine that, that was just brilliant. And for somebody who then got to follow that journey of, every step of the way. And, and like you said, followed it yeah. all the way from Andorra all, all the way to, to Leon. Was, was that for you the, just the best journey of your entire life? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the Wales, even when they were playing badly, uh, you know, I was in newspapers a long time and uh, before going on to radio and TV. Wales was always the best football I covered. Now, I was lucky enough to... I've been to FA Cup finals with... Uh, Cardiff City, League Cup finals with Cardiff City and Swansea City. I've seen Newport get promoted at Wembley, uh, unforgettably. Um, so I've been to Wembley with all those clubs. Had seven years in the Premier League covering Swansea City, a couple of years with Cardiff City. But Wales has always been my number one. I've always thought Wales was, was the best football I cover. And you talk about the great 
uh, players who didn't get there, Neville Southall, um, Ian Rush, Dean Saunders, you know, all those sort of people. So many near misses. Mark Hughes. Um, but I'll tell you a story. The night Wales qualified was actually the first defeat in the group, and that uh, fell at Bo we fell at Bosnia. But because of the result in the other game, Wales went through. And um, w it was in Zanita. We couldn't stay in Zanita. We stayed about half an hour away in a hotel, which was dry. So we bought some some beers on the way to the game, kept them in the car in the hope that we'd have a celebration afterwards. And we did. But among those with me was my co-commentator, Kevin Ratcliffe. Absolutely brilliant player. Brilliant captain at Everton in his prime, who were a great side, who, who looked as if they might conquer Europe, but of course uh, fell foul of the, uh, not their fault, but the, the ban of, of English clubs in Europe. So Kevin Ratcliffe was, was, has been one of our great players. He was sat there celebrating with us. And I said, is there not a bit of you that is just jealous? And he said, no. He said, I'm just chuffed the beans that we've finally done it and this group of players have done it. But there wasn't one bit of jealousy or, or bitterness there that he'd missed out. And he said, we weren't good enough to go there. That's why we didn't qualify. We had all these great individuals. Probably Neville Southall at his prime was the best goalkeeper in the world. But even Nev says, didn't get there because we weren't good enough. This squad got there. And my word, didn't they get better and better as they went along? when you look at um, players who were right at the top of the game, ultimately, uh, Wales had the one, didn't they, with, with Gareth Bale. And do you think with Gareth Bale, um, just how he sort of embraced um, international football, do you think that really helped Wales to do what they did? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I often say um, the great thing about Gareth Bale is that Wales can win games when they don't play well because of Gareth Bale. They can get points in games not playing well because of Gareth Bale. But I've always said, for Wales to play well and win, Aaron Ramsey has to play well. Wales' best performances in the Euros, both in qualifying and in the tournament itself, were when Aaron Ramsey was on song in that little number 10 uh, role, finding holes. You know, he's, he's a top-class player. Um, but you have to say that the, the sort of talisman is Bale because all the players know that he, he is capable of doing something ridiculous. Okay, you can say Joe Hart should have done better on the free kick against England, but nobody was surprised it was Bale who put Wales ahead. Um, he didn't, I don't think in the, in the actual games, Bale was fantastic at, at, in the Euros. But he just kept getting goals when Wales needed them. And that's what the great players do. Remember Beckham scoring the last minute free kick at Old Trafford for England? Yeah, he's players, that sort of player, isn't he? They step up when their club, or in this case, their country, and in Beckham's case, his country, they step up when they're most needed. And that's what Gareth Bale has done and has continued to do. Even though he's had sort of bouts of poor form or whatever, He's, he loves turning up for Wales. He just, the players, I was listening to a, a Neil Taylor podcast today and he was talking about the Euros and he said, the great thing about Wales is that the squad spirit is fantastic. And it is now, even with this new sort of group. And he said, um, 
And Gareth Bale, people think he's a superstar, but he's just one of us when he turns up. And Bale really took, I think Bale really took a hold of things in the Euros. Um, he'd had a fantastic qualifying campaign when he scored all these goals to propel Wales to France. And in France, he was at the forefront. Press conference, yeah, I'll do it. And the players could see that. They they could see that he he wanted to be... He wasn't a captain because Ashley Williams is a captain, but he is a talisman. He is the leader. Or he was the leader of that, that band. Um, and whereas, you know, I mean, we've all covered clubs and countries where maybe players don't want to do the media. It's not a part they like. The Wales players all embraced it. They absolutely embraced it. And, you know, it got to, to one stage where um, the FAW would say, oh, we've got Gareth Bale again today. And we're thinking... Any chance of James Chester or someone a bit different? But it was just it, it, it was just all went perfectly well until the last game. You're listening to Matchday FM. Extra time. You mentioned in that um, how Gareth Bale can come up with um, magical moments, but it was I, I was somebody else who came up with probably the the one uh, moment of brilliance that. A lot of people remember. I, I know we did a um, a podcast uh, a couple of days ago talking about some of the best goals ever scored at Euros, and I instantly put in my top five Hal Robson Carney because that goal against Belgium was just sublime in the fact that it was ridiculous because it was Hal Robson Carney, a player without a club who <laughs> isn't a household name, and he's Cruyff turned three. Belgian defenders. I mean, yeah, I know uh, my colleague Harry said in that podcast that you could criticise the defenders all you want, but I don't think anybody, at least of all them, expected Robson Carney to to do what he did and score that goal. I bet for you, that was just a mo- like the sort of goal you're just like, yes, thank you. Uh, it was a ridiculous goal, wasn't it? And remember, his other goal was the in the opening game of, against Slovakia course, when he yeah. went on a sub. And he scuffed it. I called it at the time the greatest scuff you'll ever see. Uh, <laughs> and it was a scuff, but it meant a, a victory, a priceless win. You know, when many of the Wales fans turned up thinking, listen, if we can just win one game, it'll just make us because we've never been here before. But no, Hal Robson Cano, he will never score a greater goal in his life. As you can imagine, he is absolutely idolised among the Wales fans because of that goal. Because of the scuff as well against Slovakia, because that was huge. But actually, it turned... um, It was interesting. Against Belgium, they scored a brilliant goal, Nangalen, and they had great players all over the pitch. They were missing one or two at the back, and I think that, that paid off for Wales. But falling a goal behind to a scorcher from Nangalen... That was a real concern. But then after about 20 minutes, Wales got the grips to the game. Ashley Williams puts them level um, from a corner. Second half, really, you know, they, the, the Wales are going to win that game. You could tell that. As soon as when Wales went 2-1 up, I thought, this is happening now. And then the Sam Vokes goal just, just capped it all and meant an, another big celebration. <laughs> a few more days in France. And um, the journey just continued uh, to the semi-final. And on that semi-final, um, obviously that is probably the bittersweet moment, isn't it, really? Um, the fact that um, 
it's so close yet yeah, so far in many ways, but Portugal dead Ronaldo. <laughs> when when he scores a header like he did, what for you was it was the disappointment sort of double folded in the sense that as a as a Welshman, it's your team um, being denied a place in a final. But as a as a broadcaster, finals are what you want to to be covering, isn't it? Um, so for you, was it a double disappointment when Wales were just pipped by Portugal? It was, um, it was really hard to describe, Chris, because um, it was my birthday <laughs> and um, it's one of my children's birthdays while I was in France. And my daughter said, uh, I know my dad says he, he wants to be home for, our, for you know, the birthday and his birthday, but really we know he'd, he'd rather be in France. And she knew me too well because I, I, you know, there was no way I wanted to leave. Um, I think, to be honest, we probably feared the worst when Aaron Ramsey and Ben Davis picked up the two bookings and couldn't play against Portugal. Um, I don't think Portugal had to play that well to, to win the game. Um, Wales without Ramsey wasn't the same. Wales, Wales without Ben Davis wasn't the same. And it was just a, a, a game too far without those two. Um, but yes, the players are disappointed because I think they thought, hang on, you know, beating Belgium, bring on anybody. Uh, but Ronaldo's header was just outrageous. I mean, you look at the distance he got off the floor. It was just, uh, uh, yeah, it, it was almost superhuman, the leap. So there was no shame in losing to the eventual winners. Um, and it had just been this sort of uh, journey that none of us had expected. None of us will ever forget. And it continued for me because um, I went straight back to Cardiff and, the that was on the Wednesday night. On the Thursday, I travelled back. On the Friday, there was a bus stop parade around the city centre of Cardiff with the squad who'd arrived back. Um, and okay, people say, "Oh, why do you celebrate a semi-final?" But hey, 58 years of not getting to a major championships, why not celebrate a, a feat like that? And it was something. The whole adventure and the whole campaign was something, which brought a, 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 it affected the psyche of a nation in a way that I'd only experienced with rugby. You know, um, that people, even non-rugby fans, watch Six Nations or whatever, and they, they get carried away with uh, the Welsh rugby team winning. But this actually affected the nation. It, it really, as I said to you, the fan zones were huge. There was a real buzz around the place. There were Welsh flags all over the place. And it, it affected the nation's psyche in a way that I'd never experienced with football before. So as well as the achievement of on the pitch, it had a massive boost for Welsh football. And actually, just as important now, I remember Chris Coleman saying, the big thing is not just to qualify once, but to always be in there and qualify again. And now they've done it again. Missed out on the World Cup, which was a big disappointment, but they were in there fighting. And one or two Welsh fans, I think, became a, a little bit, well, hang on, why aren't we qualifying for this? But there were times where we weren't even close in qualifying uh, sections in previous tournaments. But now, qualify for 2016, just missed out in the World Cup at the last gasp from that group. And have qualified for, well, as it is 2021 now. So I think the second one is, it will never be quite like the first one. 
but it is still such a big step forward for Welsh football in that it shows it wasn't just a one-off. You wasn't just the commentator at, at, at the tournament and, and throughout the qualifying. Uh, you also managed to get yourself onto a, a Manics record um, for the, the official <laughs> official track. And I, I'm a Manics fan myself. And um, I'd, I'd imagine, well, was, was that for you quite, quite surreal to... When you got, I'd imagine you got a call off somebody or something to say, can we, uh, you're going to be part of the intro for, for the Welsh um, well, Three Lions, shall we say. You can imagine. Um, the commentary was at the end of the uh, Bosnia game. Um, that's where I did that commentary. And um, uh, we qualified in the uh, November and it was around about the start of the new year, just into the into 2016, when I get this phone call from someone saying, oh, I'm from, I think it was a record company or an agency, saying, um, the Mannix want to use your commentary on a, a Welsh record, come on Wales. Um, would you have any objections? Well, it took me all of 0.5 seconds to say uh, absolutely none at all. It was surreal. And actually, I got to meet them then. Uh, at an event uh, which the Welsh squad were attending. So I said to somebody, is there any chance I can go and say hello? And I just saw the three of them just down to earth guys. And um, yeah, it was all a bit surreal. You know, at one stage I thought, is this a, is this a phone call to wind me up? But no, it, it was, it, it was nothing to do with me as such in that it was organized for me, but um, hey, it, it went all right in the end. You're listening to the Matchday FM podcast. Why not let us know what you think? Get in touch by searching for Matchday FM on social media. We know there are plenty of football clubs in the Greater Manchester region, and one man has decided to cycle to 13 of them in a charity challenge. In foreign from the Football Man Cave has decided to ride to the clubs in which his football website covers. That's a distance of 200 miles, and he plans to do it in just 21 days. I caught up with Ian after the first leg of his journey to hear more about why he was keen to do this. I've been wanting to do it, you know, for a, a quite a while, a fair few years. I've had it in the old notes on the iPhone, and originally I wanted to do it as a, a round trip. What I've done is I've divided it up into nine rides, but we'll sort of hit 13 stadiums. Um, I did Rochdale on the first ride. Uh, I've got Salford today, and then every other day we've got like Oldham, FC United, uh, and then we'll have Bury and Radcliffe, and I'll be United and City. I, I wanted to do a charity and choose a charity that's within Manchester, and Forever Manchester's perfect, because whatever money goes into Forever Manchester, it goes out to the communities of Manchester, so it's kept within the border as such. Um, so I just thought it, was, it, it tied in really nice. Yeah, very much so. Um, so... Why did you want to cycle? Because I, I know like, uh, we've seen people um, run to, to different grounds. Did you thought, mix it up a bit, let's do it on a bike? In, in all honesty, I've had two knee, um, two knee operations. First one was a reconstruction and second one was, was um, a tidy up and some ligament damage. So I can't run. Um, I can't really walk longer than 45 minutes, but I can cycle. Um, so I thought, well... Personally, I've not been out on a bike for 18 months, um, barring Thursday. It's something I really enjoy doing. Um, getting out, obviously, I mean, during lockdown as well, it's, it's just getting out and about, um, getting some fresh air. So I've had a bike 
just creating a bit of rust in the garden. And I thought, right, well, let's get the bike out and let's get proactive and, and do something. And like I say, um, it, I mean, to be honest, I've never been a runner. So cycling probably would have been my first choice anyway, out of it all, to be fair. And um, you, t- you touched on it briefly, but obviously Forever Manchester is um, you know, a charity that does a lot of good um, in and around the city. Obviously, during this time, um, a lot of people have, have turned to try and do something good to help others and raising money for charities by doing some sort of challenge has been something people have done. Was this something you thought, I, I want to do as well, I want to do my part? Yeah, 100%. Um... Like I said, I've had this in the pipeline for a couple of years and now for, for some reason it's not the right time. I think um, obviously like from Manchester, they've been there for as long as I've known, to be fair. Um, and the work that they've done is, is absolutely amazing that they keep, they keep churning out year after year. And it's just a, just a great charity. And I feel like if we can help a little bit, because obviously people are struggling at this time, um, if we can help out a little bit, then, then then I'm happy. Do you know what I mean? And have you ever done anything so uh, so big before, or is it again you yeah, just I'm wanted happy. to do go as big as you, you could right now and just go all in? Yeah, the wife actually turned around to me. She was like, "What what are you actually doing? Like you've not been on a bike for eighteen months. Why are you suddenly doing a two hundred miles in three weeks?" Um, but it's a challenge, and it needed to be a, like a big challenge. There's no for me if you're doing something for charity, or, or you are doing a challenge. There's no point making it easy for yourself. So basically, being being idle for 18 months and then getting on a bike and doing 200 miles in the next 21 days um, is a massive challenge for me. So um, and like I say, obviously with a football man cave coming to the ground, I think I feel like it just ties in. Ties it nice, and uh, hopefully we can we can get the teams involved as well, which which will be brilliant. And don't just tell us how you're getting on so far, then, because I believe you've you've just started it. Yeah, started it on Thursday. I just had to wait for everything from uh, from the Manchester side to get finalised and, and stuff like that, and just get everything planned out and structured. Uh, um, so I did the first one to Rochdale. Uh, that was seven mile. That one. Today, we're going over to Salford City, so that's 14 mile. Um, we've got a couple of 14, 15 mile ones. So I've got FC United, um, Oldham, and then we've got Berry and Radcliffe. And then it starts up in it a little bit more after that. We go um, over to Curzon Ashton, Ashton United. So it starts going 22 miles, Stockport, 30 odd miles. And then the last one's Bolton and Wigan, which is 50 miles um, in one setting. So personally, I've never done more than 20 miles in one single ride it's going to take a little bit more than to sort of do the 30 miles, a lot of 50 miles is already in me quite daunting. Obviously, there'll be a goal for you of, uh, of raising as much money as you can. Is there sort of like a, a figure you'd love to, to try and reach? Do you know what? I, I was thinking about this. and For me, even if I just did 200 quid for every, every mile I've done, I'll be happy. Um, my deep down goal is £1,000, but... It's, it's over three weeks and I understand the climate at the minute. So um, if I hit £200, honestly, I, I'll be happy with that. Anything more than that's an absolute bonus, to be fair. Finally then, Ian, um, before we let you go, uh, do you want to just tell us how people can support your uh, efforts during this challenge? Yeah, uh, probably the easiest way is we have a Twitter handle 
that foot in Mank Cave. Um, so that's two C's. And the same with Instagram. Um, we'll, we'll be sort of documenting it through Instagram stories. Um, so the same as Football Man Cave. And then the links for the Just Giving site are within that um, bio. So probably the easiest way is going to socials, follow us, and then, and then obviously we'll be putting it up every other day. And do you want any, any sort of help? I said this to everybody recently. Any sort of help, it doesn't matter if it's just to share just a bit of encouragement. It, you know, it, it all it all helps towards what we're doing, basically. And like, hopefully, we, we can we can hit a, a decent target and plough some money back into Greater Manchester. And we're just saying, hopefully, my my legs will do the two hundred miles. <laughs> the Matchday FM podcast available now on Apple and Spotify. It's been quite the week for Barrow AFC as they finally had their promotion to the Football League confirmed. The Bluebirds had led the way in the National League for much of the season, and topped the table when the season was brought to a premature end. But after a vote by the league, Barrow's long wait for a return was over. Adam Johnson grew up watching the club battle away in the lower reaches of non-league. Now as the local radio commentator, he'll get the honour of being there on the day they returned to the fourth tier, 48 years after they left. I asked him how big the achievement is for the club as well as the town. It's just unbelievable. I probably spent about an hour staring at my phone yesterday in the absolute shock and disbelief at the announcement. Just, just overwhelmed, really. But for the minute, the minute after that, I think everyone, it's still not quite sunk in, but it's for, for, for the sound of Barrow, for the football club, it's, it's just amazing to think that Football League football is coming back here next season. And because it's been such a long wait and it's come in strange circumstances, does that make it uh, unique and special? I think it was always going to be special. I mean, there's, there's that little element, I think, that people would have liked it to have been done properly, I think, and having that, having that great moment. We, we feel we've been, we've been stolen at that fantastic moment of a, a packed Holker Street last game of the season, presented with the trophy, the, the open-top bus tour around the town. It would have been, you know, great days for for people to remember for a long time. Obviously, it's not happened in that way. We've had to have a, an agonising wait for it to be confirmed with with the vote and everything else. But it's, it's as I say, it was always going to be special the way it happened. Forty eight years, it's it's a long time, especially for this town, the way that they exited the football league as well originally. So to have that status back, it's it's I've been calling it the impossible dream and that impossible dream now has come true. And just how good of a job has Ian Ebert done? It, from an outsider looking in, he's just taken the, the club from battling sort of like relegation the, the other season to being in the Football League. It's, it's quite a journey. It's an amazing job he's done. When he, when he took over two years ago, I think they had about three or four players signed on at the club. He's completely rebuilt the team. The year before he took over, they stayed up on the last day of the season simply because there was four teams worse than them in the end. That was the only reason that they stayed up that season. It was incredible that they managed to actually stay up that campaign. Everett's come in, he's completely transformed, not just the playing side, he's transformed the club as a whole, the, the, the way that they operate. And he's done a remarkable job and on a shoestring budget as well. It's... There was one person that believed that Barrow could be in the Football League when he took over, and it was Ian Everett, and it's, it's all thanks to him that they are the Football League club now. 
and it could do wonders for the town as well, couldn't it? Because Barrow's not had an easy ride over the years as, as a town. This could be something that really changes uh, the perception as well of, of Barrow. It's a massive lift, as I say, not just for the football club, for the whole town as well. The infrastructure, the amount of people that are going to be coming into Barrow now the, for the, you know, the pubs, for the restaurants, for the hotel trade. It, it's huge for the town of Barrow, the amount of visitors. And, and as you say, the, the perception of the town as well. People are going to see it firsthand as opposed to seeing stories in the news. It's always been, every time Barrow seems to be on TV at the minute, it's, it's always a bad news story. Suddenly now there's something that, the town really needed to actually lift the town, to lift the spirits of everyone. And, and as I say, people now can come and see the town firsthand for themselves and witness it for themselves. And it's just an amazing, uplifting story that, that Barrow needed. And next season, Bolton and Bradford are among the teams that are going to be going to Barrow. That, that just seems ridiculous really when you think a couple of years ago Bolton and Barrow couldn't have been further apart it's absolutely crazy I mean we've, we've, we've I've been talking to it about it today on the radio and 1999 Barrow almost went bust they went into liquidation after uh, Steve Vaughan had been involved with the club and he left and walked away left the club with nothing they went into liquidation they were saved by a group of local businessmen and the supporters then uh, 1999 Bradford City got promoted into the Premier League. So that tells you one part of the story. I think 2007, Bolton Wanderers were in Europe and uh, you know Barrow were, were languishing towards the bottom of the Conference North. Again, going into next season, they're equal. So it's, it's Normally, the Bradfords and the Boltons would be coming to Barrow for an FA Cup game and it would be an absolute crazy moment for, for an FA Cup game. Next season, they're coming to Holker Street as on a level playing field there in the same division. And it's just immense to think of. And finally, Adam, for you, you've been a, a Barrow fan, you're from the town, and you've had the privilege of following them as the BBC Cumbria commentator for the last few seasons. How special is it going to be for you to see your team um, playing in, in the Football League? It's, that's just going to be an incredible moment for you personally, isn't it? it it's, it's phenomenal to think of. I mean, I, I, I was at the ground yesterday doing a few things and I stared over at, at the wall where I used to stand as a ball boy 23 years ago. And to think now that 23 years later, I mean, they were in the Northern Premier League back then. 23 years later, I'm going to be the first ever Football League commentator for Barrow AFC. It's, it's amazing to think of. And I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I don't think it's quite sunk in yet. But when it does, it's just amazing to think of that this, for this club, for the town, to be in the Football League, it's, it's incredible. Now, if you're enjoying this, then why not check out our blog? You can find it on our website. Just search for Matchday FM. That's it for this episode of Matchday FM Extra Time. Make sure you listen to all our other Matchday FM podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, and of course, our website. We can also find our latest articles and features in our blog. Don't forget, you can also get in touch with us on any of our social media platforms. Just search for Matchday FM. But for now, I've been Chris Stott, and this has been Matchday FM Extra Time.